Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we want now to be still before you, to acknowledge that you have been gracious and kind and good to us. You paid a debt you did not owe. We owe a debt we cannot pay. We need you to wash our sins away. And now we sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that we could never pay. And Father, we pray that you would allow us in these moments just to sit and be still. If we could just sit with you a while, if you would just hold us, nothing could touch us, though we're tempted, though we're tried, we would find the strength in you to stand. So this morning we ask that you would quiet us with your great love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. All the time. Thanks to our orchestra. Thanks to our choir this morning. I love to watch your faces. This one week I get to look at your faces and see that you live what you sing. And I love the way you sing and I love the way you live. And I'm grateful for these who lead us in worship so faithfully. Well, a silly story that teaches a truth. There was a man who woke up one morning, like many of us, and he decided... I'm tired of shaving. I'm just tired of that routine. And he had seen in the movies the, the people who, who would get the warm lather at the barber shop and put it on the face and then with the straight razor. And it just looked like that was the best way to be shaven. And so he, he went to the local barber shop and he walked in and they said, what do you need? And he said, well, I need somebody to shave me. And they said, well, sit down in the chair. And they said, Grace. And they called this lady forward and she came and she said, what do you need? He said, well, I need to be shaved. And she gave him, how shall I put this? The shave to end all shaves. I mean, the warm lather and the straight razor without a single nick or cut. It was the perfect shave. And, and he looked at her and said, thank you so much. How much do I owe you? And she said, $40. And he said, $40, that's a little steep, isn't it? And she said, well, that's what it costs. And so he paid her the $40 and he, he kind of begrudgingly, but then he, he went out and he kind of went his way. And the next morning he woke up and he walked to the mirror as usual and reached up and his face was still smooth. And he said, well, maybe it was worth it. You know, that's pretty good. It's still smooth the next day. And the next day he woke up and the same thing. And the next day and the next, no five o'clock shadow, no. And after a while it began to bother him a little bit. And he said, what will I do? So he went back to the barbershop and he said, I don't understand. You've got to explain this to me. I was shaving here and now I don't have to shave anymore. Well, what's this about? And the man smiled at him and said, was it a lady who shaved? And he said, yes. And he said, oh, don't worry. You've been shaved by grace. Once shaved, always shaved. Now, I know it's a groaner, I understand, but I want you to know, as silly as it sounds to be shaven once and never to have to shave again, that's how silly it sounds to many to hear the idea that once we are saved, we are always saved. And I want you to know the New Testament never uses that expression, once saved, always saved. So what does it teach? Can we have any assurance of our salvation at all? How can we know where we will spend eternity? Well, I want you to look at God's Word with me. Let's open our hearts and our minds and our Bibles and hear the Word of the Lord, one of the great passages in all the Scriptures. Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 28. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. You've heard these words before, but would you do something for me this morning? Would you imagine yourself as a first century believer... In the city of Rome, the capital city of the whole world. And you're receiving a letter from the Apostle Paul. You've never seen him, but you've heard about his ministry. 
And he's written this letter just like you were the only one who would ever read it. And he wrote these words inspired by the Spirit of God so that you would know the truth about God's love for you. Listen to Paul. Listen to the Spirit speak through the Apostle Paul. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death. All day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You may be seated. So it's not about us. Salvation is God's work from beginning to end. Have you caught that in these weeks as we've studied this? Only God can save. So even when we say with Romans chapter 10 verse 9, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. You say, so it's about my believing and my confessing. No, but listen to what it says. You will be saved. It's in the passive voice. We cannot, though we tried a thousand ways for a million years, ever save ourselves. But Paul said to the church in Rome, I want you to understand how much God loves you. He's the God who longs to save you. He wants to be kind to you. He wants to forgive you. God wants to save you. And He wants to stand with you against all accusations. So even if you condemn yourself and you're your own worst critic, He says, God is the God who has justified you. Who is it that condemns you? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says in these verses, if you are in Christ Jesus, you need to know that you have been loved with an everlasting love. And you can never be separated from that love. And he gives extensive lists and possibilities and says, no, in all these things, we are hooper nikomen, we are more than conquerors, super overcomers through Christ and His love for us. It's as if Paul says from the beginning there in verse 28, and we know that we can have some assurance. And the assurance is this, as he says in his last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I know whom I have believed 
And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. He is able, the NIV says, to guard what I have entrusted him. What has Paul entrusted to God? His salvation. And since God is the only one who can save, Paul says, I will trust in him. I will rest in him. But every one of us has existential doubts about this. Because we know, for instance, that uh, like the image of being shaved once and, and thinking we would never shave again, that somehow stubble comes. <laughs> we know that sin like stubble comes in our lives. And after we're saved, some of you would say, but pastor, I'm a new Christian. And I thought after I became a Christian and I was baptized, that would be the end of sin for me. But every now and then, every day, I still sin. In attitudes and words. What about a person like me? Am I really saved at all if I continue to sin? And then others would say, but I knew somebody one time. You may have known this person. The person who, who walked down an aisle and accepted Christ and walked through the water and was baptized. And for all the world looked like they were a Christian. And then one day just walked away and said, I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a relative of yours. A parent or a child. And you've wondered, what? What about that person? Can the person who doesn't have any interest in God at all still be saved? I think in every congregation, in Rome in the first century, in Houston in the 21st century, there are categories within the congregation. There are, for instance, people who are secure in Christ. They have really been saved, but they're never quite sure about it. Secure, but not sure. You know what I mean? Their guilt waiting to happen. Got lots of doubts. They doubt their own goodness, and sometimes that makes them doubt God's goodness. They doubt whether a person like them could really be saved. They doubt their own intentions. They doubt, they doubt, they doubt. And far from that doubt empowering them, in, in some ways it paralyzes them so that they never really live up to their spiritual potential because they're always worried about, did I just sin? As one contemporary song says, did I just go one sin too far? Which sin is it that takes you out? Is it the thousandth or the ten thousandth? Who's keeping count? Or in a congregation like this, for instance, there might be people who are absolutely sure that they're saved. But are not really secure because there never really was a relationship with Jesus Christ. So they have a sense of false assurance. And may I say to you, I worry about that. I worry about people who who maybe went through the motions for the wrong reasons and then somehow were assured by that, that that even though they didn't mean it and even though they don't love God and aren't interested in God, nevertheless, they've got their fire insurance. I worry about people like that. I'm just being honest. And then in a congregation like this, there may be some people who are secure in their salvation. They're really saved. And they're also sure of that salvation. Because even though they doubt their own goodness... They never doubt God's. And I want us to think about which of those categories we might find ourselves in today. As Paul says, God is the God who saves us. God is the God who stands with us and for us, though the whole world stands against us. God is the God who secures us with his inseparable love, the love from which we cannot be separated. And first, I want you to hear what he says when he says, and we know. So Paul's not guessing here. He doesn't say, and we wish. Or we think it might. No, he says, and we know. And we know. I love the way Paul has this sense of certainty and assurance. And we know that in all things, God is where He doesn't say everything is good. He doesn't say it'll all come out in the wash. He says that God is working in all things 
for our good. What is that good? He says, to make us like Jesus Christ. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Notice it's God working. God saves, God foreknew, God predestined those who are in Christ to be conformed, to become like Jesus. He didn't predestine some to be saved and some to be lost. He predestined those who are saved to become like Christ. So God will finish the good work that he's begun in you. What is that good work? Is it the good work of giving you a job or a relationship or a friendship or, or money or education? No, the good work is salvation. And God began that good work. And by the way, God finishes what he starts. So if God started salvation in you, you can be confident of this. He will finish that work. But here's what I want you to see. Before you can ever understand that promise, you have to understand the prerequisites. And here they are. This will help some of you. Listen to this. He says, for those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purposes. So Paul's not saying everything will work out for good for everybody. That's not what he's saying. But for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who are actually believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who trust in God's goodness, he says, those people, God is working. He's working for good. He's going to bring salvation to completion in their lives. Now, here's the question. This is a hard one. I can't answer. But please don't answer out loud. Do you love him? Do you love God? Are you called according to his person? When we sing, when we sing that great song, if ever I loved you, my Jesus tis now. Do you really mean that? Or are you just mouthing the words? And here's why I want to ask you that. Because people who've really been saved, they love God. I mean, they are head over heels in love with God. They are like, they are like can't get enough of God. They love the word of God. They love the people of God. They love the church with all of its flaws and failures. They, they love being around people who love God. They just love God and they want to know God. They want to know his will for their lives. They want to follow his purpose. I didn't say they never sin. I just said they love God. And if you can show me a person that maybe made a commitment somewhere in some service somewhere, but there is not the slightest evidence that they love God. I wouldn't say that person has lost their salvation. I would say they never had salvation. Now, why would I say that? Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. Write this down. 1 John 2, 19. What does it say? It, it says, they went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. The NIV says they didn't belong to us. They went out from us because they didn't belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, it says. And he says, you have the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying they never had the Holy Spirit. I'll give you another example. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Remember that passage is kind of disturbing. Maybe it needs to be a little bit for those who would presume upon the grace of God. This is an important verse. He says, many will come to me in that day and say, in the day of judgment, and will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we preach? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform many miracles in your name? Didn't we do that, Lord? And I will say to them, what? I used to know you i never knew you see what i'm saying there never was a relationship now i don't want to get into semantics because all of us know people who maybe presume upon their salvation and they need to stop doing that they need to settle it and nail it down if we've never known christ no matter how many times we've been through water no matter how many aisles we walk down or prayers we pray if we do not love god if we do not have a sense that he has called us and we have answered that call we are not saved now, I'm not trying to shake anybody up. My mom used to hate it when preachers preach sermons like this. She would come home and she would just, I mean, she just, you know, doubted her salvation. And this is not so that Christians will doubt their salvation. But while I comfort the afflicted this morning, I need for a second here to afflict the comfortable. Can I do that? 
and say, I don't ever want you to presume upon God's grace. Because if you can say to me, I know I'm saved and that just makes me want to sin more and more. Paul says to the Romans, God forbid. God forbid that the grace of God would make us want to sin. I'll tell you what the grace of God does for me. It makes me so grateful. I don't want to sin. And I want to love him more because he has loved me so much. And even loving him wasn't my idea. The book of 1 John says, it says that he first loved me and that's why I loved him. It's all about God. But let me go on to say, if I'm the one holding on to him, well, see, my grip is not always so certain. And the point is, it's God who justified. It's God who glorified. It's God. It is God. It is God. It is God. And any plan of salvation that makes my salvation dependent upon my last sin ultimately becomes, if you just follow it logically, a work salvation. Because it means, well, I was saved by grace, but now if I sin, just what, which sin is it? The thousandth, the ten thousandth, which sin is it that puts me over the line? And the answer is, Jesus Christ already paid the price. So he says, not only does Jesus save us, but he goes on to say in verses 31 to 35, he stands with us against all condemnation. Listen to this. There is therefore now, how much condemnation? Verse 1 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So we're no longer living by law. We're living under the umbrella of God's grace and love. And that frees us so that we're not constantly condemned, always feeling guilty, always, always sort of feeling like I'm just not worthy. Of course, we're not worthy. But in Christ, we are loved and we are forgiven and we are not condemned. And he says that, in fact, we're, we're so not condemned. He says, who's going who's gonna to accuse you? Jesus has the right to accuse you. And he died for you. And he, verse 34, is interceding for you. It's like First John chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, do you know this verse where, where he says to us, my little children, I don't want you to sin. Now, that's my heart for you as a church. I don't want you to sin. I never want you to trample on the grace of God. But he says, if you have sinned, because we have. If you have sinned, he says. We have an advocate, one who stands and speaks in our defense before the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you could just sort of see the conversation. It's not Jesus looking at God when we make a mistake and saying, you know, they meant well. She, she's well-intentioned. He, he tries hard. You know, they're basically good. People are just basically good. That's not what the son says to the father. You know what he says? He says, I died for that. I died for that sin. I covered that with my death on the cross. So that the, the price for that sin, which must be paid, has already been paid. As the hymn says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look, it's not me holding on to him. It's him holding on to me. I remember when my boys were little. They won't let me do this anymore. When they were little and we would walk and it was heavy traffic. I just put my hand out and said, hold on to my hand. It's up to you. If, if you hold on to my hand, you live. You let go, you die. <laughs> listen to Jesus. John 10, 27. I know my sheep. They listen to my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Jesus says his sheep will never perish. He says... No one can snatch them out of my hand. The Father is greater than I am, he says. 
No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You're, it's not just Jesus holding your hand, but, but you're in Jesus' hand, and Jesus' hand is in God's hand. Anybody here think that's not going to work? Listen, there was a song. It's terrible grammar, great theology, Singspiration, 1974 in Nashville. God's grip don't slip. Okay, it's lousy grammar. I got you. It's good theology. God holds on to His children. He's not going to let you go. Oh, no, you never let go. You never let go of me. God stands with us. God secures us with His love. So He gives this great list, death, life. You see the couplets there? Angels and demons. Sorry, Dan Brown. They can't get you. The angels and demons can't. Death can't get you. Life can't get you. A height can't get you. Depth can't get you. The present can't get you. The future can't get you. Nor any powers. Now listen to this one. Nor anything else in all creation. I'm just going to ask you one question. This is a yes or no. Are you part of God's creation? Am I part of God's creation? We are. And he says we cannot separate ourselves from God's love. Once we are believers, we are secure in him. And you know why we need to know this? You know why we need to hear 1 John chapter 5? He who has the Son already has life, eternal life. He who doesn't have the Son does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You know why it's important? Because when we know that we're secure in Christ, then we don't live our lives in constant fear. And far from paralyzing us, that sets us free to do what God has called us to do. By grace you have been saved, past tense, not of works, so you can't brag about it. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'm saying everybody who's in Christ Jesus is foreordained and predestined to become like Him and to live forever in heaven. That's what the New Testament teaches. Now, you have to, between you and God, because I can't tell you, know whether or not you are in Christ Jesus. And that gives us accountability every day. It makes what we do now matter. Actually, because what we do will either live for eternity and we'll be rewarded or it'll be consumed by fire. You know that passage? First Corinthians chapter three, verses 10 to 15. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Paul says, if you're going to start a church, you better build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And some people build with gold, silver and precious stones and some people build with wood, hay and stubble. But it's all going to be tested by fire. And if it's gold, silver and precious stones, it'll stand like those of you who are doing nursing home ministry. We're preaching to 300. I hear on. Sunday afternoons now and during the week, 300. I'm not preaching, I'm already exhausted, but you all are preaching and leading music and singing in the nursing homes. I'm telling you, that. believe me when I say that is gold, silver, and precious stones. It will stand the test of time. Loving these preschoolers in Jesus' name, loving our children, teaching our youth, caring for our people, being involved in ministry, singing in the choir, teaching Sunday school, those things are going to stand the test of fire. But I could build with wood, hay, and stubble. I could do worthless things, Paul says. Listen to this. And those things will be consumed. What if Rob Bell says the fires of heaven are hotter than the fires of hell? Ooh. What if seeing Jesus face to face makes everything I ever did matter? And some of it just gets consumed because our God is a consuming fire. And some of it stands the test. Doesn't that make you want to live for Him? Doesn't it want to make you do things that matter? Of course it does. We want to live for Him because He died for us. And so we want to give all of our all to Him because He gave all of His all for us. This is the gospel. Jesus has done so much for us that we don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. We don't want to quench the Spirit of God. 
We want to we kindle the fire that God has started in our lives. But he says, that person, even if the works are consumed, yet he himself will be saved, Paul says, yet as by fire, by the skin of your teeth. Like Baylor made it into the Big 12 tournament, the NCAA tournament this year, the last team announced. Man, they were squirming, weren't they? Is that, are they going to call our name or not? But God wants you and I to live with the confidence of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what assurance is worth? Here it is. It's like those children in Europe in World War II whose parents died and they gathered these children. They've been living on the streets. They were malnourished and they put them in these homes and, and these wonderful, caring house parents started loving these children in Jesus' name and, and they gave them food and they gave them clothes and they gave them a place to sleep but the kids couldn't sleep at night. They lay awake at night and they said, why are you, why are you laying awake at night? I said, because we're so afraid that when we wake up in the morning, we won't have a place to sleep. We won't have food to eat. And some brilliant person said, let's give them all just a piece of bread and let them hold that bread to hold. Dennis Lynn has written a book by that title bread to hold. When they gave those kids just a slice of bread, they fell right asleep because they weren't worried. They could rest. And I want that for you. I want you to be able to rest in assurance in your relationship with Jesus Christ and know that in Jesus Christ, you have the bread of life. And this bread we eat, this bread we hold until everybody receives it is a reminder to us of God's love for us. It is, as Alistair McGrath says, like his aunt who was 80 years old when she died, had no other relatives. They had to go and sort through her stuff. Have you ever done this? And they go there and they start looking and her most prized possession is an old photograph of a man that she loved when she was young and a man that loved her and the relationship ended tragically but she kept that picture front and center. You know why? Because she wanted to remember lest in her older days she would doubt that anybody had ever loved her that there was a time when she was loved and she loved. And if you'll receive it, that's what this bread is. That's what this cup is. It's a reminder to us that we have been loved deeply cherished and treasured in the heart of the heavenly father who gave up his only son for us for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have possess everlasting life this is the promise of God this is not just bread and drink this is our hope. This is our assurance. This is our reminder that we have been loved. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of His Spirit. Washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. Is it yours? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blood of Christ shed for our sins and the body of Christ broken for us. May we never trample underfoot the goodness and grace that you have given us in Jesus Christ who loves us. And if anybody here has false assurance or fire insurance and no relationship with you, I pray that you would bring that to bear right now. And if anybody has received you as Savior, I pray that you would envelop them in your love. And that they would know that they know that you know them and they know you. And I pray, Father, that that would make all the difference so that our faith would produce works 
that demonstrate the reality of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.